Mike Harrison Price for Thursday, November 9th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're planning a holiday party, Wall Center has 55,000 square feet of striking indoor and outdoor space. If you haven't seen the 34, 34th floor meeting room here, it is absolutely gorgeous, sweeping views of the city. Contact the wall, 604-893-7370. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price. Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things. The show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Right now at Applewood, Nissan Langley, the Leaf, huge stock of EVs. Rates from 5.99%. The Rogue, finance from 3.99%. Because, Blake Price? It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today asking you, who would you rather see the Canucks trade? Beauvillier? Connor Garland? Neither. You can vote at Sikarison Price. For those of you asking why is there not a both option, well, two reasons. Number one, the poll is who you would rather see traded. And number two, there's not a whole lot of interest in either of these players, I think it's fair to say. yeah, Both would be quite an ask. Would you like to turn water to wine could be a poll question too. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I'm drinking a little more wine these days. (laughs) Are you? Yeah. Okay, as an aside. Yeah. And the other thing, I don't know about you fellas, but I am firmly on board with daylight, daylight savings time all the way through. I am done with this turning the clocks back in the fall. Number one, it just gets too dark too early. And number two, and I can't ever remember this happening, my body clock has not adjusted to this. Typically, I'm up 6, 6.30, somewhere in there, maybe late at 7. Blake, I find myself up at 5 in the morning. Yesterday, I went to bed at 8 p.m. She walks into the bedroom. She goes, you're asleep already? I go, huh? I go, no, I'm just resting. Resti- 10 minutes later. Resting te- my eyes. Yeah. 10 minutes later, I am out. It's, uh, you're, you're also old. There's that, too. Working Is this what you. happens yes. with age? yes. Yeah, I need naps now. I, I'm officially that age. Mm-hmm. It's very disappointing. I don't get you wrong. I, I don't get I, me wrong. I used to get a little cat nap there in the afternoon, late afternoon. Not anymore. Yeah, just old. Now it's just I'm up and at him, and I'm alert at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're drinking wine, too. That also keeps you awake. Yeah. Puts you to sleep and then keeps you awake. It's, Is that what it does? Yeah, yeah. It's the sugar. No alarm clocks needed. Matt Sakaris will text you bright and early. That'll get you going. Have I been texting you too early? Yeah. <laughs> Have I been waking you up? Is Erica mad with uh, Is Erica upset with Push me? Push out the poll question. Uh. It's 5.15 a.m. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love leaving the house when it's dark and going oh, home when exactly. it's dark. By the way. Why uh, are we doing this fallback thing? The government has said they aren't going to move on this until West, Oregon, Washington, yeah, and that's California. Right, California. Right. They want it to link up with the West and Coast. And I think one of those three is in, if not two mm-hmm. but it, i think california is the holdup it would be very odd going south of the line and going into a different time zone yeah. so i get what they're saying there but I, i've i've been doing a bit of a deep dive on the uh the history of of fallback ah. and it's completely arbitrary there was it's really no totally. science behind it um and and it was really um kind of rushed and hurried together to to do it like it we don't need to do this. Well, Saskatchewan doesn't do it. Arizona doesn't do it. There's no prevailing wisdom on this. Like, just and all it means is we it. need more electricity, right? You need more lights. 
Is that is that the case? Yeah. Oh sure. I mean, it's dark at four thirty-five o'clock. Oh, we're only talking about pushing that back like forty-five minutes, effectively. I mean, it's still going to get dark pretty early. Is that your tinfoil conspiracy about governments trying to make us pay more for electricity? Oh, is that, is that what, what that was? It oh, is wow. the General Electric oh. Lobby. That oh. is exactly what it is. The special <laughs> interest. Canucks begin a three-game Eastern roadie through. The Canadian stops here, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. Casey DeSmith going to start against the Sens and likely to get the Habs game on Sunday as well. These are all 4 p.m. starts for us. Unchanged lineup, Teddy Bluger very close to anticipate. Teddy Bluger will make his season debut on the weekend, I would think, Montreal, but maybe it's Toronto. And that brings us back to the poll question because – in our discussion with David Quadrelli yesterday, managing editor of Canucks Army and host of Canucks Conversation, he thought that there were some fourth liners playing for their spot in the lineup tonight. Because when Bluger's ready to go, someone is coming out. Don't think that Sam Lafferty, given the way he's played, given the speed, given that he's a right shot. Don't think that's Nils Hoaglander because he is tracking pretty well here. Could it be Beauvillier? Of course, what that what would that do to his trade value? If yeah. he's got trade value to begin with, Blake. Yeah. I voted Garland on the poll. And look, I can hear the argument for neither because the team is going very well and you don't want to upset the apple cart. But I still think it would be useful to get off the Garland contract because let's remember, Beauvillier... At 4.1, he's coming off the books at the end of this year. There are things you're going to be able to, uh, you know, he he's not a long-term problem. commitment no. here. You say problem, yeah. Yeah. As we know, the OEL dead money is increasing in future years. So getting off Garland, who's got two more years beyond this one at 4.95, would still be useful in the big picture for me in terms of roster construction. But I just wonder, with few months left in Beauvillier, like, is he that hard to trade? I think he might be easier to trade. That's the thing. That's not the question here, but I think you're right. Yes. Like, if if the question Especially is... Especially since he's got a pretty good playoff resume. Like, he's been terrific for the Islanders in previous yeah. playoff rounds. In fact, that's one of the things that Alvin highlighted when they acquired him last year. And yet was the, that this guy had looked great against those Pittsburgh teams that Rutherford and Alvin built in the postseason. It's funny, like his regular season numbers, mm-hmm. very pedestrian. But 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 also, uh, to me, they're they're better than what my eye test tells me. Yeah, maybe. you know, like even his five points in twelve games. Like I'm like, yeah. really? Because I don't really notice them out there. But Blake, listen to this: Stanley Cup playoff career. 49 games, 15 goals, 29 points. Well, that's, that's very good. And his first dance, they went two rounds, eight games. He had two points. In the subsequent two rounds, he went nine goals and 14 points in 22 games, and then five goals and 13 points in 19 games. So he had two exceptional Postseasons, twenty-seven points in forty-one games. Like that's a really good rate. Yes. Yeah. In a in a time of the year where it's a lot tougher to get points. Mm -hmm. 
And when players of his profile don't tend to shine. Well, you get your benches shortened, right? You don't get the same kind of minutes because you're just leaning on your stars. Space is more difficult, and so the smaller player oftentimes I mean, if the Canucks, struggles with that. Do the Canucks lean on that and say, no, that's the guy we want to hold on to because of that reputation? Yeah, there's I mean, that too. But he is eminently more tradable, you'd think, based on that contract. One would think, particularly if you're willing to retain, because let's face it, if you're retaining, it's just this year, you can probably handle that. Yeah, if you're going to retain on anybody, but I'm still like, there's no point in retaining if it's anything more than a million, right? Like, if it's more than a million, what's the point? No, of, of course. And then, of course, on Garland, the reports are out there that they are willing to retain, but people want them to retain a significant chunk. And again, that you're looking at about a third of Garland's salary that teams are going to ask you to retain, which is a little rich for the Canucks player. Who've already got dead. And cap. I don't, I don't blame them because that's like 1.5 or so going forward. Yeah. And you don't want to be retaining that much. Yeah, when when the Canucks are already giving back all of the cap increases mm -hmm. in dead cap money, like what's the point? What's the point? Mm -hmm. And of course, if one of these wingers does get moved, we anticipate in the near term it would be Archie Baines from Surrey because he's had such a great start to the American Hockey League season. But Vasily Podkolzin is the guy who ultimately you need and want back into your lineup. The good news, Ben Lipka out in Abbotsford yesterday, got video of him on the ice. Look, red, looked quite sprightly. Red jersey, yeah. but participating in drills, mm -hmm. which is good progress coming back from the concussion. We were joking with Quadrelli yesterday that, you know, Vasily had suffered a concussion in his KHL days as well and seemingly was right, right back out there and, was eager to do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, once again, players having to be saved from themselves a little bit. Like, no, no, Vasily, you're okay. You're not playing Saturday. <laughs> no, no, I'm all good. No, I'm ready to go. It's, it's just a flesh wound. No, it's actually more than a flesh wound. So we'll we'll, we'll track his progress. Then uh, yesterday, ghosts from Canucks past rear their heads. As Trevor Linden goes on 650 and uh, sewers Jim Benning. And as we all know, there was a split there at the end of Trevor Linden's tenure of president of hockey operations for the Canucks. He went into the Aquilides presenting a plan and a vision to rebuild after the Sedins retired. That's not what ownership wanted to hear. And Benning told them they could retool on the fly. Next thing you know, Trevor was out. Benning had the keys to the castle, working in concert with the chairman of the Canucks, Francesco Aquilini. And we'll get to the stuff about the draft and Pedersen Glass here in a second. But for me, the big thing that Trevor said yesterday, and it's absolutely um, understandable, that he didn't need a job. No, I love that statement too. Yeah, yeah, that he wasn't about to sit there and execute Francesco's vision mm -hmm. or Jim Benning's vision. No. That if he wasn't the guy doing the vision, well, empowering others and then doing the oversight, plus the other parts of Trevor Linden that played well in that role on the community side, on the marketing side, what have you, that that was... and. Blake, as we talked about it, 
That was absolutely the right lane for Trevor Linden, especially in the early going of his tenure. Because when he first got in there, he wasn't that current on NHL players or on the league. He had never served in that sort of capacity before. You know, and as many people told me during his time there, Trevor was a different kind of president of hockey operations, especially in the early years. He wasn't going to get down into the, you know, scouting meetings or the game prep meetings with his two cents. He was more, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And so he tells the story of uncomfortable with the process in the 2016 draft and wanting to empower Judd Brackett, their director of amateur scouting going forward, despite the fact that Benning, as an amateur scout by trade himself, right, that's how he came up, still wanted some of the say, wanted some of the influence on the amateur draft, particularly with the first-round pick. See, I heard that quote differently, Matt. I didn't hear that quote as, I need my plan. He said I needed a plan. I got the feeling that that, that quote there was underscoring I think it's the same the thing. no plan plan well the fact that he didn't see any direction anybody that's right like like if if he felt like the owner or the GM was very clear in the vision of what was going to happen I think he would have been okay co-opting that but he saw scattershot theory on on player acquisition and departures that made him think what are we doing I, here? and I think it's the same thing I I think he realized that he had a GM that lurched from opportunity to opportunity right. without yeah. any kind of cohesion yeah that he had an impulsive impatient owner above him but i don't that think was he was pressuring power him hungry. on opportunity or this i don't think that. he was power hungry though i, I think I, he just wanted no. like where what are we doing here i don't necessarily feel it was power hungry i think it was okay yes we do need a plan and by that time blake he had traveled around with the team i think he had boned up on the league and its players yeah felt like he knew a few, thi- a few more things yep. exactly yeah and so went, okay, our two legacy players are gone here now. It is time to execute a plan, execute a vision, and, and not be this franchise that is the league's patsy. That yep. when the Arizona Coyotes call going, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson uh, would like you, you hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. When Jay Beagle's agent goes, ah, four, four times two and a half. We're going to need four. You hang up the phone. <laughs> yeah. well, as Ray always used to say, take away his phone. Yeah. You need now, a plan. with regards to the draft, I mean, we have heard this. I guess Trevor confirmed it in a way that we had never heard before. But we have known this for some time, that not everybody was on board with Elias Patterson. Yeah. That Benning fancied Cody Glass. Although Benning has rebuffed it. The Raja uh, Shergill of Hockey Night in Punjabi saying, we were always going to draft Patterson. The whole group liked Petey. Uh mentions that they didn't have enough viewings on other players and needed to do due diligence. But he also said he told Aquilini the night before the draft the pick was going to be Pedersen. And I'll say this. Elias Pedersen was not expected to go fifth overall. He had some helium, but there weren't a lot of people out there that were looking at Pedersen as a top five pick. Top 10? Okay. Top 15? Certainly. But it was a bit of a surprise when they picked Pedersen, where they picked him. Yeah. Yeah, we felt like it was a few spots early. Yep. 
Um, he was in the mix. And so great job on the Canucks scouts mm-hmm. in He's turned out to be the best player in that draft. So, again, it's the nuance of the quotes, right? Like Jim Benny says he said the night before that it was Patterson. That still doesn't necessarily – that part may be completely true. It still doesn't necessarily guarantee that that decision was ultimately his. He may have ultimately resigned to letting others make the decision, but he still could have felt like in his heart well, of hearts that it, that's not the right guy for me. And here's the other thing that I'll say. In defense of process – if you get to the draft and you do not have unanimity on a player, it is the job of the general manager to ultimately make the decision mm-hmm. because the general manager is ultimately going to be on the line for it. I don't begrudge GMs for wanting to say in the first round pick with the first round pick at the NHL level because you're going to wear it. And you well could get fired if you screw up enough of those. So if your director of amateur scouting comes to you and says, you know, I got five guys who want one player. I got a number of guys who want a different player. And we're at loggerheads here. That's when the GM does have to step in. If the director of amateur scouting comes to you and says, we've got unanimity or we got strong consensus, it's this guy. You go, all right, director of amateur scouting, you've got my support. That's our guy. Except that I feel like the Canucks at that point, eventually Jim Benning had the reins. Did he only have one reign at that point? When you got that president-GM dynamic that so many teams have gone to, who's the actual decision maker? In a lot of teams, it's still the president. And so now because Trevor was a little – new little green to the to the league mm-hmm. did he give some decisions outright to Jim Benning unequivocally but big picture huge decisions like a first round draft pick was Trevor involved in that I would suspect that Trevor well, had a had a one, say of, one of the things that I know uh and this may well influence the pick in 2016 but Trevor would ask the group where are our defensemen coming from mm-hmm. It was clear they were poor on defense. It was clear that buying defensemen in free agency was very expensive. And it was clear that making trades for defensemen was also difficult because you pretty much had to give up better forwards or or, or more than they were worth. Mm-hmm. You pretty much had to resign yourself to, quote unquote, losing the trade because you were dealing from a position of weakness and the entire league knew that. So there were a lot of great defensemen in the 2016 draft. They picked the wrong guy. And when he talks about he was uncomfortable with the process, I suspect that is what we have all heard, and that is Benning fell in love with Ulevi at the World Juniors. It was easy to fall in love with Ulevi at that World Juniors. It is still one of the great World Juniors I've seen from a defenseman. And an underage defenseman. And an underage defenseman at that. And uh, it didn't work out. I, I, I don't think there was a world where they were taking Matthew Kachuk because I think they were concerned about Kachuk skating. And look, he's been one of the rare and few players of this era to overcome that lack of skill, that, that specific skill not being uh, as strong. He brought everything else. There was also some wonder about 
both Kachuk brothers and how involved dad was going to be in their careers because Keith was mm-hmm. not the most. And ultimately proven right to some degree on both fronts. Like I, I think Brady's got one foot out the door as well. I think the reason why Brady felt in um, uh, empowered to say what he said, uh, you know, you know, uh, slamming the Ottawa fans the other day is because he's, I think deep down he's like, I don't care what kind of reaction I get here. I'm not long for this, for this spot anyway. And Matthew's already worked his way out. So I think ultimately they are redeemed in that regard because I don't think either Kachuk is going to – well, we already know one isn't, and I think Brady's not going to be a 10-year Ottawa center. Well, he's the captain there, but, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Until this rash of injuries and the loss of Shane Pinto and the loss of this future first-round pick – I, I would have argued the Senators are a team on the upswing. Yeah, for sure. And Brady would look around and go, oh, pretty good group of players. Yeah. No, they're underachieving, and they're young. So mm-hmm. I, I do think they'll be better. But um, it's, uh, it, you know, I, I still, everything we've, we heard in, in Lyndon's interview um, was known behind the scenes. We haven't heard them say it. Mm-hmm. So it was confirmation, mm-hmm. but it's still everything we suspected it to be mm-hmm. between the two. And, and the other thing it proved to me is that Trevor's still bitter. I think he would have liked to have seen this through, right? Well, I mean, I, I think the Canucks are near and dear to him, and so I I, I do think he's uh, uncomfortable. But it goes back to that first statement that you, that you highlighted that we both picked out. Didn't need this job. He didn't need a job. Well, and, and you know, at the time... It was a PR hire, well, first and foremost. Well, of course. Aquilini needed somebody to put deodorant on the fact that fans were yelling fire Gillis, that John Tortorella went through an embarrassing year as the head coach of the Canucks, and that they needed somebody to make the public feel good about the brand, so you bring in the all-time Mr. Canuck. And a great speaker, too. Somebody that can be in front of the microphone and won't embarrass the brand. Well, and also... His greatest strength to me, Trevor, is when he's one-on-one with people. Yeah. He has people skills, the likes of which I have seen few and far between in any walk of life. Mm-hmm. He's got a way of making you feel like you were the most important person in the world when he's talking to you one-on-one. Yeah, And I think all of that had a chance to succeed if it was supported by terrific hockey-making decisions in the early years. And it was clear that as a first-time general manager... First-time president, too, right? Making mistakes on the job. It was clear that Jim Benning, as a first-time general manager, was not making good hockey decisions. He had a view of the game and a view of the league and a view of team building. That was antiquated. That was exactly yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the time, I was close enough with Trevor to ask him, why the hell do you want this? You know how much maintenance the guys upstairs are. And now you have to manage below. Yeah. And I, Trevor has to own some of Jim Benning as well. That was his hire. But in I think concert he, with the owner. I think his theory, they wanted a scout yes. as GM. They got a scout as GM. So Benning was never sort of holistically qualified for the gig. You can see what Trevor was thinking. I, I'm a little removed from the game over the last couple of years. This guy seems to know everybody in the league. Yeah. It's perfect. He's a cheat mm-hmm. sheet for me. It's great. But turns out that being a general manager means managing the cap. Mm-hmm. Means long-term visions. Means good contract negotiations. 
right? Yeah, it's not play. It's not talent uh, assessment, mm-hmm. that, that, which is really what Jim Benning's strength was before. That was just right. is that a good player? And although he failed a little bit in that regard yeah. too, didn't he? So, and although by the same token, we're sitting here talking about how great Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are, all of them on Benning's watch. Yeah, now he of course, if uh, um, but there are a lot of at bats. That's the problem. Well, that was the problem. Well, a lot yeah. of at bats. I mean, and and he Vertanen was a he had hits, but not nearly enough. Vertanen was a huge miss. Meat and potatoes. When he was hired, mm-hmm. that was right after the Bruins and Kings won right. those Stanley Cups. Meat and playing potatoes that style of hockey, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what do we always say? If you try to chase that style on a different team, the game is going to evolve, and you're going to be stuck behind chasing yeah. it. Vertanen a big miss. McCann turned out to be a hit. But they moved on him too early. Demko, because Jace Howerluck was taken a few picks earlier, and that was their guy. Uh, I know many said Hughes fell into their lap. It still took some chutzpah at that stage of the league to take a guy that small where they took him. So I'm not giving full credit there, but some credit is deserved on Pedersen, on Hughes, on Demko. Who have underpinned this current group? Well, I, I mean, the Hughes thing. I don't know when when that pick was made in front of them. Was it Zadina? Zadina. I mean, Twitter blew up. Oh my God, Hughes is coming. I mean, like everybody, like, like it, it may have been against the norm for an old school GM, but everybody and their dog was like, oh my gosh, well, it's going to be Hughes. Except that, much like the 2016 draft with Ulevi. There were a handful of defensemen you could have taken there. Well, theoretically, but Boquist, everybody was focused on Hughes. Come Boquist on. was the right shot guy. He went the next pick. Evan Bouchard was the bigger guy with the offensive ability. He was two picks later. And Noah Dobson was five picks later to the Islanders. And while he is not Quinn Hughes, Noah Dobson is a fine player. Mm-hmm. So, Oiler fans are ruined that it wasn't Dobson. Well, yeah, rightfully <laughs> so. So, you know, yeah, they screwed up with Yulevi instead of Sergachev, instead of McAvoy, instead of Chikrin. They made the right call on Hughes over Boquist, over Dobson, over Bouchard. Incidentally, I've been thinking about this lately as I see every fan base complaining about their defense. Like, folks, if your kid's playing hockey right now, yeah, make sure they're right-handed exactly. and playing on the blue line. Right. <laughs> if they're just a mediocre right-shooting forward... Move Drop them, them back. to the blue line as soon as possible. And get them into skating lessons exactly. and skate backwards. Especially if they can skate. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I I think we're in a golden age of scoring because the defense is so crappy right now. Like, honestly. Well, so what I can remember at, asking Bob McKenzie, of all people, this question as we were going into the Vegas and Seattle expansion eras. And I said, because it had been a legitimate concern each and every time we expanded previously, particularly Minnesota-Columbus that round, particularly um, Ottawa-Tampa-San Jose that round. And I asked him, Bob, is the player pool there to support 23 extra jobs and, well, 46 extra jobs with the two of them and um, 42 skater jobs? And I can still remember his answer. He said, Matt, skill level has never been better at the major junior level. Yes, I believe that's out there. What's happened since then is that the profile of defensemen you need 
has gotten even more specific because they've got to be able to skate and they've got to be able to handle the puck. And that is something that I do think might be lagging a little bit now. Like that when you look out and survey who teams are playing in the top four, they're still not, well, shouldn't say top four, who, who they're playing on the bottom pair. I'm not sure there's enough of those quality defensemen no. to support the needs of the NHL, which, let's face it, is seven or eight per team, right? Because with injuries and attrition, you're you're going to wind up playing that many defensemen. That's a world to me. It's a worldwide shortage of defensemen right now, particularly on the on the right side. And then in Canada, at least, I think there's a goaltender shortage as well. So, yep. if your kid has uh, any inclination to <laughs> strap on the pads, and there are some associations that are very good financially, they understand the goalie oh, kid. Uh, it's needs often some free extra registration yes, and all exactly. that sort of stuff. Yes, but. Um, yeah, I wonder if you know if Connor McDavid is sort of spurred on, and maybe even Crosby and and, and Ovechkin too, if that era like everybody just wants to score goals, everybody, yeah. everybody oh. wants to do the Michigans, everybody, you know, every, like it it, it 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 took people. My son was a defenseman early on, and then he's like, no, yeah. I want to be up there because he wanted to score more goals. So, um, like I played defense for my first few years in minor hockey, and then a coach said to me, I like the way you pass the puck. We're going to play at center. <gasps> yeah, <laughs> it was like I won the lottery. But I wonder if now all this deification of Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and you know the foxes of the world, if if maybe if this will spawn a new generation. But there's going to be this, so. there's going to so. be a lag time though. Yeah. So yep. get ready for a lot of goals. Well, and speaking of defensemen, those trades yesterday in the NHL. When we finished recording yesterday, the Bogosian piece had not dropped. So Minnesota exchanges young Kalen Addison, a right shot, offensively inclined defenseman. For Zach Bogosian, as Mike Russo on the Wild Beat says, they felt that uh, Addison was an expendable power play guy for the need and, and, and chose the need and chose to get grittier and beefier on the back end. There's just a $25,000 in salary, and they get a draft pick from San Jose that's one round higher than the one they traded to Tampa Bay. Still did seem pretty soon to give up on a right shot offensive-minded player like Addison, but Russo said it, had, it was clear he had hit a ceiling with the organization even going back to the summer, and that they felt they had better power play defense options right now and potentially going forward um, as well. And so that made him a bit of a tweener as a offensive guy who wasn't going to get the lion's share of offensive opportunity. Well, 33-year-old Bogosian, too. He got, uh, you know, so much older. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Uh a win now thing for them for a struggling they're off to a bad start and they yep they want to be better guys i made it to bc lions practice yesterday it was at bc place congratulations did you need your maps to take you there no no found uh (laughs) found it on my own good for you i found the north surrey practice facility on my own as well i used to go there a fair bit so uh, the same guys are still missing or limited at practice, which includes Ben Hladek, the middle linebacker from Vernon, UBC guy. Gary Peters still limited on the corner. I asked Coach Campbell, I said, why Why are we practicing here? Particularly since Tuesday was very much a Winnipeg kind of day. Winds, cold, outside. And he said he wanted to replicate the noise that they're going to face at Investors Group Field 
inside BC Place. He said doing it at the training facility doesn't really give them the full pull. And Blake, my eardrums are still recovering from the volume level. And our boy Matt Baker was on the uh, crowd noise. And when he turned it on, Campbell looked at him and gave him the thumbs up a couple times. I mean, I was standing beside Coos. You could barely even speak to each other. And Coach Campbell explained afterwards in his scrum, there are times at that stadium where our offense cannot communicate at all. So he wanted to move practice to BC Place mm. and jack up the volume to make it as difficult as possible. This is kind of like swinging two or three bats on the on-deck circle. So, you know, when you get to the plate, it feels a little easier. That's effectively what was taking place. And he didn't want to ruin the days of the people in Wally. So that was very nice of him because they could have done it. At, they, they've done the noise yeah, thing but in Wally the before. The thing is, uh, and I've seen that in Wally before, but the yeah. thing is, is the noise has plenty of place to escape That's in what I'm Wally. Saying. Yeah, yeah. Plus, there are often other noises at Wally. <laughs> can remember the one gentleman many years ago who, from the other side of the fence, yelled, I'm one with God and I'm down with Buono. And the players, <laughs> every single coach and player on the practice field had to sort of turn, put their face in their hands. While he continued with the practice plan, the rest of us were roaring. Anyways, uh, so I caught up with uh, several of the particulars. We're going to hear from Ryan Phillips here in a bit. Dalton Schoen is still not practicing there in Winnipeg. And what does that mean for the Bombers? Well, they've had such a big play, explosive downfield passing game this year that without him in the lineup... The prevailing wisdom is that Zach Caleros may not look to throw the ball downfield as often and that may not trust the guys who he's throwing to down the field as much. So maybe he's a little more judicious, less of those 50-50 balls that he feels like Schoen will get and that other guys may not. A lot of Brady Oliveira out of the backfield maybe too. One would think that as well, Mm -hmm. which brings me to the two defensive tackles, Josh Banks and Woody Barron, who are both terrific players and this may be the best defensive tackle tandem in the league, you are on the spot in this game. You know, Banks is more of the run stuffer. Barron's more of the upfield guy. They need both. Bottle up that middle, force Oliveira wide, and in the case of Barron, maybe get in the backfield a couple of times and affect the running and passing game with the most direct light line to the quarterback or to the ball carrier. And then I talked to our boy Benny on the special team side, and I asked him, you worried about anything? You know, your special teams, their special teams. And Janorian Grant is sensational as a returner. In fact, he had the same uh, Gizmo Williams co- uh, comparison that you offered uh, a few months back or a few weeks back when we were talking about Grant mm-hmm. and the Winnipeg return game. So he reminded him of Gizmo a little bit, mm-hmm. the way he returned balls. Grant averaged 15 yards of punt return, which is extraordinary. Against the rest of the league, he averaged seven against BC. So fantastic job on the coverage teams. You just fingers crossed that he's not due against the Lions, that he hasn't been in the film room looking at ways that he can escape that first flight of coverage he, guys down. He might have been a smaller sample size, too. I think he might have missed the first one. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He was so, hurt. Yeah. He came back for that game at BC Place. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I what I do love is it's going to look like a big game at Winnipeg. Oh, absolutely. You know, it'll I be mean, 33, 30, 33,000 people. I mean, the Bombers, they haven't been this hot in that market. I mean, heck, you almost have to go back almost. to the Cal Murphy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You almost got to go back to the Willard Reeves yeah. days. Boyd and Tuttle. Yeah. Yes. Like, I, I'm not sure the Kahari Jones, Milt Siegel teams ever sort of captured Winnipeg they, as much as the no. Cal Murphy. They did well, but not quite no. like this. Yeah. Well, and those were sensational defenses, too. And boy, could, uh, I mean, the quarterbacks, Brock and Clements. And mm-hmm. oh, at one point, just Winnipeg just. Every year had great quarterbacking, great running backs, great receivers, great linebackers. <laughs> they were quite a handful back in the day. And then lastly, this. Of course, our old friend Buck Pierce is the Bombers offensive coordinator. Yeah. And uh, you won't hear it in our interview, but I, I asked RP on the field, Ryan Phillips. And I was like, do you like matching wits with Buck? He goes, love it. And he goes, when we first got into coordinator's jobs, sometimes he'd come see me pregame, sometimes he wouldn't. So he says, now I make a point of going to see him pregame. He goes, I'll walk the wide way around the circumference of the field to come on up behind him and make sure I get a touch on him and say, hi, hi, Buck, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and if you remember Buck, Buck could get really sort of hyped up and, and nervous and all that. And RP, cool as a cat, slides by, makes sure he gets a touch, says hello to Buck Pierce. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. We encourage you to get to Greta on Cordova. Fantastic place to watch the games, the playoffs, like Saturday, for example. Place to chill in the off season. Patrick Johnson stops by from the province and post media. We talked to him about what a successful trip will look like. We talked to him about the uh, guys on the trade bubble here. Connor Garland, Anthony Beauvillier. We talk about Vasily Pekolson and him getting back onto the ice and what he still means to this Vancouver Canucks organization. We'll get to the hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including some uh, talk about changing the NBA All-Star game format. And unlike when the NHL went to a North America versus the world I, I feel like USA versus the world has a better chance of succeeding in that sport. I do, too. I think it's worthwhile. <laughs> Ryan Phillips, BC Lions defensive coordinator. We talk about stopping that Winnipeg run game. We talk about the vibe here at BC Place and around the Lions these days. We talk about some of the particulars, including Ben Halatic, what it would mean if he could not play. Talk a little bit about, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I've seen way more BC Lions alumni at games this year. It's been fantastic that Armar Doman and the team have brought guys back and had them at BC Place. Looking forward to that as well. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Time to take a visit to the fabulous folks at Applewood Nissan in the Richmond Auto Mall. And look at the fabulous deals that they've got going right now. Like the huge stock of EVs. The Leaf from 5.99%. It's time for you to jump into the electric revolution, folks. Get behind the wheel of a Leaf now at Applewood Nissan in the Richmond Auto Mall. Grady, we're putting them on E's and O's for the mic not being on there at the start of the segment. 
Okay. I won't be here tomorrow, so make sure uh, he uh, yeah, we're rolling. owns it. Okay. It's unnatural. Poll question. Who would you rather see the Canucks trade? Beauvillier, Garland? Neither. Can vote. At some Price on Twitter. Joined now by Patrick Johnson of the Province and Post Media, as we are typically on Thursday. I went to BC Lions practice yesterday, and I bumped into two of your colleagues. Oh, amazing. Wow. It ben happens. Uzma and yeah. JJ Adams. Yeah. Both of them, live and in the flesh. And I went, well, I used to be surrounded by province writers at yeah. Canucks games and practices. Yeah. I did note that two of them in one spot. Ben Kuzma at the Lions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we need extra It's stories. a huge game. Big game. Calling in Kuz. Yeah. Uh, I, I did note that, uh, you know, rare is the day where two of you are in one place now. It is true. Mm-hmm. It is true. I mean, we used to have these occasional moments where you know, you'd show up at the arena and there'd be three of us. Oh, four even. We actually had three recently. There was a, a practice at UBC that out of nowhere, Steve Ewan showed up at. Mm. Um, but yes, two or three is a rarity. Usually Patrick, there were days I went to, pra- it was Bosch. I know. It was Jameson. It was yeah. Eddie. It was Gallagher yeah. and Coos. Like there could be five of you guys in one spot back in the yeah. day. Yeah. So anyways, enjoyed uh, catching up with the both of them. This is a uh, road trip for the Canucks where um, a lot of winnable, winnable games. We were kicking this around yesterday. Do we have to change the equation on what constitutes a successful Eastern road trip now for these Vancouver Canucks? Like, do they have to do better than 50% of the points? Especially with the circumstances, the with all the, the fatigue on the on the host side right. here on this trip. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw, Blake, you noted that the, uh, was it you or Jeff noted the back-to-backs of every opponent, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we value these Ottawa centers? I mean, they go to Toronto, okay, so they have to fly, you know, I guess they fly home after the game, but like, you know, it is a back-to-back. All 45 minutes of the flight, right? Yeah. No, like it is a little bit different than a Western conference back-to-back. But, you know, they also like, we're so sort of, I don't know if the word's impressive, but comprehensive in how they beat the Leafs. Um, You know, that's a team that's going to be, that's coming in feeling really good about themselves. Obviously a bit tired, but feeling really good about themselves. Uh, But yeah, that's Saturday game in Toronto, like, the Leafs are the Leafs. I believe are if you look up reeling in the dictionary, they're they're right there. Um, they're a mess. The Habs, I haven't quite figured out what they are, but yeah, you, like this is the kind of the, at least this season you play these three games, you should take two of these games as a win. Like that's but they, just how they, it this, is. Yeah. That's the big game for the Sens though. Last night, like so as right. much as they might be on, they're also might feeling like dusting their hands off. Okay, job well done. We've accomplished our goal for the week. Um, <laughs> Oh, they're missing half their blue line. Five and six on the season and last place in the division, too. So, you know, they deserve probably a better lot in life for being five and six on the season. Yeah. Five, five and six on the season gets you a lot further in the Pacific. For yeah. Instance. Well, yes, and that's right. I mean, that in the end, of, at the end of the day, like, they can score, but they're also giving up a lot of goals. And as Matt mentioned, they're not at full health. So, uh it is remarkable in the writing. Thomas Shabbat is out, and that makes a difference to your team, even if you do have Jacob Chickford. I mean, that the, the Senators, as constructed, uh, are a are very interesting team. Um, I don't know if the coach is the right coach for them, but certainly the the, the potential in this lineup is impressive. So is, is Well, that's the other thing to listen for tonight is whether that crowd's all over the yeah. coach. And, yeah. and, of course, on Saturday, maybe they'll get Samson off. 
which is and maybe a different coach there too. Get, get it while they're getting <laughs> good. Um, is, is five points the minimum here though, PJ? I mean, like, like, are we reached that point where you said can, four? Five said points four. the minimum? Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. Get real. No, I am real. Being no real. way. That's ridiculous. I mean, you would love. You <laughs> want to get two out of three? Taken twelve games. Five points. Exactly. I love how it's taken twelve Don't get games. Greedy. For price to go from a fifty percent bar to a what eighty some percent bar, eighty two and zero exactly. Guys, fans by all three markets would happily light a match to the building with the players inside of it. I think <laughs> that's where we're at with these three markets. That's where these three teams are at. So let let's ask the bigger, broader question because this was kicked around on hockey night, and it is still very early, but. Are the Canucks Canada's best team, Patrick? Like, do you think well, this is sustainable? Did we all miss the fact that the Canadian Seven was garbage again this year, but there was a new king of the garbage, the Vancouver Canucks? Well, <laughs> the fields come back to them to a degree, right? I mean, that's part of the story. Uh, the the I, I think we all thought the Oilers would be better than this. Um, maybe they are. Uh, the Flames, I was always a bit skeptical about. I always said that, you know, basically they and the Canucks would kind of be in a, I don't know, dogfighting. It's too early, guys. I can't think of any of the words. It's not dogfight, but they'd be in the mix for that final, for, a, you know, third or fourth in the Pacific, uh, the Flames. The Jets seem to continue to be the Jets, which is good on some nights, but most, mostly yeah. circling the drain. You kind of scratch your head how Kevin Shevelday off is still running the show there. Um, so, Sure, that there was well, a good chance there... with the new revelations in Chicago, too, right? Like yeah, clear he was in that meeting, he knew yeah. that they were just going to yeah. delay anything on the second player, yeah, alleging yeah. sexual assault. Yeah, Go ahead. so the you know, so in the equation, you're like, okay, well, they were at least as good as Calgary, you know, at least as good as Winnipeg, Toronto. You assume that Toronto would be better, but there's a mess there. Um, and like I said, I don't. I thought they'd be better than the Senators, and I thought they'd be better, better than the Habs. So for them to be the top team is a surprise. I would say that from my standpoint. But mm -hmm. they're playing the best hockey of any team in Canada. It, it's not an unreasonable argument, right? This can they keep it up? Uh, you know, given the structure and the staples, mm -hmm. as Rick Tockett likes to say, that I think there's every reason to think that this team, even at, you know, as we said last week. They, they basically have to go 500 for the rest of the season and they're in the mix. And I think they're better than a mar at worst. They are mar better than a marginally better than a 500 team. I, I think they were always going to be sort of a 90 point team. Now they're looking at being a hundred point team and that's to their credit. If I'd like your take on this, not that Connor Garland or Anthony Beauvillier is going to get you a top four right shot defenseman. Of course they are not, mm -hmm. but if the Canucks are moving one of those two wingers, which one do you think they would prefer to move? I think it probably actually is Beauvillier, partly because I think he's easier to move because his contract is expiring um, and his hit is lower. Also because I think Garland is a better player. I, I, Beauvillier is fine. You know, he doesn't hurt your team, um, but he's not a guy you really want to have as a fourth liner like that's just not the kind of player it's not even the role it's just the efficiency of your roster 
and and so whether it's one or the other right like you'd rather use those that four whatever ish million on a defenseman yeah um and i wrote a little bit about this yesterday and bouvillier yeah like i said he's fine he gets on the ice and doesn't hurt you and he's got five points you know he's he's uh, literally has been the streaky score he got five points last week um but is a healthy Vasily Podkolz and, and his price any worse? Well, that's you, it. Any, well, that's it. Exactly. And yeah. then you replace him with Podkolz, either one of them with Podkolz. And, and Podkolz finds, you know, I, if all goes well and he's back in the lineup and he is carrying on with the progression that that certainly the the brass hopes for, having, you know, when I spoke to Jeremy Carlton on the phone and, and then I actually saw Ryan Johnson, you know, that there is a, they, they look at this player and say, this is a kid, first of all, who hasn't been able to be the man since he was drafted, you know, spent yeah. two years basically rotting away on the end of the bench in St. Petersburg, as good as an environment that might be in terms of winning and, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of stuff around that you're available to rank and all these things. He, he did play a lot when he was 18, 19. And he certainly, when he did play was not being looked at to be a, a, you know, high confidence, do your fun stuff, kid type player. It was, Go get out there and don't screw up. Then he comes here, has three different coaches in the NHL telling him similar stuff, which is, you know, we're not looking for you to be any, you know, anything. We don't need you to go out and blow our socks off. Just be competent and not, and kind of losing his way in terms of what he does best. And that's what he's getting to do in the AHL. Certainly what he was doing before he got, um, before he was concussed. So yeah, exactly. If he comes in and he, he refines himself as, you know, in his, Every shift he's going to be out there saying, I'm going to try to see if I can do something. No matter how many shifts a game I get, it's going to be this consistently high level. And of Look, course, the tail of the tape is far better for Bud Coles than the, both of those players yeah. too, right? So, so yeah. that helps as yeah. well. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's it. So you know, the, there's a whole slew of reasons why why I think the Canucks actually find themselves all now in a very interesting spot in that regard. I mean, at worst is... Anthony Beauvillier, a good-looking San Jose Shark. Like, at worst, you can just move him on, and you, the value that in him right now is his cap space. Like that, it, the player is is uh, the player's not hurting you, but the real value is just creating space to do something else. Yes, and, and it's one of that that has been a difficult thing for this team to do, um, and and they have not had a lot of sort of they've not been in this position very often where they've been able to say okay. We are going to change what we're doing with that space as opposed to what we're doing with that player. Um, and that is something that we don't talk about. We certainly don't think a lot about and certainly haven't been able to in this in in this city for quite a long time. We got into this narrative about Edmonton. Uh, like, If I'm Ken Hall, I think you're at the point where you have to peel off a first to get rid of Jack Campbell's contract just because you're in, the, in a win-now phase. Is there a version of that for the Vancouver Canucks that they know there's $4 million cap hits for OEL coming? Yeah, there's a bit of a bulge for the cap going up as a whole, but you got to pay Ronick, you got to pay Patterson. Yeah. Are, like, is there a mini window open that kind of closes a little bit for a couple of years when the OEL cap hit ramps up again? Like, do they, like, do you have to think of it in those terms of we, we kind of should maybe pay a little bit of draft equity to get rid of these contracts because we need to win now or t or tomorrow, like next year. Um, and then we probably have to take a step back for a couple of years. Good no, course. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and that's part of why I say the Bavillier thing is to, to understand in slightly different terms. It's that there is something to work. There is potentially a whole or Garland, either one, there is potentially a, 
something that can be shifted around there for exactly that reason, because your dynamic changes starting next year. And then especially the two years after that. Yeah. Um, and, and you're looking at right now. And then, I mean, I, you, you look at how they've set things up and who their prospects coming down the pipe is, you know, that you look at, you know, Tom Verlander is a couple seasons away. Jonathan LeCarimacchi, I don't know if he'll be in the NHL, but certainly he's a player that they, they have high hopes for in the next season or two. You know, those are two guys that they are going to come in on an ELCs and they're going to need a lot Good from point. those guys to counterbalance yeah. That's right. the, the counterbalance the, the OEL dead money. Um, yeah, if we land her on, on an ELC in three years' time, would so, be perfect, <laughs> you know, but uh, he's got to be ready. Yeah, but they got to be ready. And so that, yeah. that there's a bet there. So that's, you know, that's fine. That's kind of your second, that's when your sort of second window opens up. But the, yeah, right now is, is, is the time. And with the sort of struggles of the Oilers and, um, and I think the other reality is that you, you look at that Vegas LA game last night, like, holy smokes, LA beating what we all assume was the best team in the conference. LA is putting their foot down. I mean, if, if, if Vegas wins the division, your Vancouver Canucks are playing this very impressive LA Kings team and who you assume are going to add, whether that's, they find another goalie or they add other players then that LA team is going to be a formidable opponent in the first round. And so you have to start thinking in those terms. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I was going to say. Cause I was thinking about um, what Blake asked you yesterday from a own cap situation, I think you could look at it and say, okay, perhaps there's a window here, particularly at this start. You do have to survey the division in the conference. Like, yeah, Vegas and Colorado seem rooted. Very big mountains to climb yes. right now for this team. You know, n- not to mention, I realize they're 14 points back now, but I don't necessarily want Connor McDavid in a playoff series right no. like you know you have to think of it that way you know dallas is a pretty good team will a window open up a little more competitively when vegas ages out maybe when Connor mcdavid you know gets sick of everything and moves on who knows i think you can make the argument um, though that vegas with their age now uh, you know can they keep it up for 82 games and be effective in the playoffs <laughs> too because they are an old team right now as we speak so i almost think like vegas's hot start might be the worst thing to happen to them in the long run uh, but but we should because we know how difficult it is has i been to i will repeat. just interject i will interject yeah. i just i am so i've been so much a fan of bruce cassidy for so long that i just think you can't under oh no one's counting them out no one's you know i just just be careful what you say about vegas they're 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 gonna be really good no matter who no matter whether they have their foot on the gas or not this la's got such a nice age profile though don't they like they've got they've got sort of everything slotted well age-wise and quentin byfield's a point per game guy this year now like we're waiting for him um they could be a lot of fun to watch as well be careful what you say about vegas i feel like i'm in the movie (laughs) casino for a second here uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's a life statement, isn't it? Yeah. Don't yeah. guess Wayne Newton. This is not in this town. Nothing bad ever happens to me in Vegas. No, <laughs> nor anyone else. <laughs> Patrick, marvelous stuff. Your prince. We'll catch up next week. No worries.
Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst, to Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has the solution where you keep that great rate. You access your equity without touching the existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to find out. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. Let me start us off, like Sure. Couple from the NBA here. At Richard Deitch, Hubie Brown begins his 50th NBA season. This was the other night, as he serves as the game analyst for ESPN's, ESPN's coverage of the Spurs Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Think about it. Hubie's career spans from Oscar Robertson to Victor Wembanyama. Incredible. Blakey turned 90 years old this summer. He is still on the mic as an analyst. His NBA career started as an assistant with the Milwaukee Bucks in 1973. He went on to be the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, New York Knicks, Memphis Grizzlies. He started broadcasting in between the Hawks and Knicks jobs in the playoffs in 1981. And every time he was not employed by an NBA team, there was a broadcaster willing to snatch him up and make him their analyst. We've had him on the show. Indeed. Many years ago, and I think he, I think he was merely eighty-two I, or something 84. like that. I still have a friend uh, who's a huge basketball fan who loves the Hubie Brown breakdown. You're talking fourteen points a game, seven boards, three assists, fifty percent from the field, seventy-seven percent from the line. He runs you through the stat line as good as any analyst out there in explaining players. Also from the NBA at Brett Siegel NBA. Commissioner Adam Silver says the NBA is considering the idea of a Ryder Cup format mm-hmm. to the NBA All-Star Game where Team USA would face off against a team made up of international players. So at first we went, oh, okay, will the world be able to keep up? Then we sketched it out. Giannis, Jokic, Doncic, Shea Gilgis alexander Joel Embiid. As one of my buddies said, I'll put that five up against anybody. Yeah. Jamal Murray off the bench. Jamal Murray off the bench. Pascal Siakam off the bench. Wimbayama off the bench for now. Yeah. He might might be in the five. Before he's their guy. Uh, The U.S. team, so old. So old. So old. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, Dane Lillard, Anthony Davis, John Morant. Is Edwards and Booker, and that's about and Embiid, I guess, as far as the guys in the prime. That's it. Well, Embiid's on the world team. Embiid's on the world team. That's right. right. Yeah, yes. Edwards, Booker, Morant, Adebayo. But Adebayo's not. In the Halliburton's class. coming up. Yeah. You know, Fox and Young are still young enough, but be careful what you wish for, Adam Silver. Team USA may lose a lot of these games in the early going. And again, the Stars and Stripes just makes everybody rise to the occasion. Like That's it. it. The international team will care more. <laughs> they just will. And then the other thing is, is much like with Olympics, you need these guys to set egos aside if it's actually going to be a competitive situation and yeah. not just a lark. And, you know, good on Silver who says, you know, we haven't given the game enough meaning. We haven't treated it as an important competitive game, and the, everyone has taken their cues from the league office. Very good of him to take responsibility. Well, my one NBA hashtag is a uh, world player versus a U.S. player at 
biased Houston. By the way, LeBron James had 18 points, three turnovers, and was a minus 24 in a blowout loss to the Rockets with Dylan Brooks yeah. as his primary defender. The two had a couple of run-ins last night, and they shared <laughs> a couple of laughs and smiles as well. Um, but Dylan Brooks getting a lot of shine oh. for rising to the occasion, especially with Memphis 0-6 now to yeah. start the season yeah, since he left. Um, of course, they've been missing guys in, in Memphis, um, including uh, Brandon Clark, who's coming back from Achilles, the Vancouverite slash American. Uh, Dylan Brooks wears you like a sweaty shirt. Like he is just, you know, he is that new age Bruce Bowen defender who is just the pebble in your shoe from the tip to the final. But horn. he's working on a shot, too. His three point mm-hmm. shooting is about amongst the best in the league. As we saw for Canada at the yeah. World Cup. I think Memphis may. Re- I, I realized there were some behavioral things there that they just couldn't abide, but I think Memphis was a better team with Dylan Brooks on it. And my sense is Dylan Brooks may well morph into that defensive glue guy on really good teams. That Houston team is up and coming. And I would not be surprised if he is one of the unsung heroes in that rise. And those defensive guys are always hated. Like the Ron Artests of the world, they're oh. always hated, right? Always. You remember Rodman? How just yeah. infuriated people would get yes. with Rodman. Yeah. That's some of the best theater in the NBA is when you get one of those elite defenders on a great player and just watching the body language, the mannerisms, the frustration build. Pa- Patrick Beverly. Yeah. Yeah, people hate Pat Bev too. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, who was blowing in LeBron's ear years ago? Um, remember he was... Yeah, I do remember the scene. Who was that, though? Oh, gosh, it's going to come to me. Yeah. Making for great podcasting right now. <laughs> <laughs> At Joe Pompliano. <whistles> Ticket prices for the Las Vegas Grand Prix are plummeting. Cheapest tickets now... Thursday, this is a practice session, was 385. Current get in price, 162, down 58%. Friday for qualifying was 825, now 312, down 62%. And then race day, Saturday, cheapest price was 1645. That's just it. That's the cheapest price. That's the cheapest ticket. We talked about how this was the bougiest sporting event ever. An F1 race run by F1. There is no promoter here. They are in charge of this Grand Prix. They are not in partnership. And the Saturday prices are now down to $1,087, down 34%. Pompliano reports that hotel prices have dropped 58%. And here's the other thing, Blake. You may remember Las Vegans complained about shutting down Las Vegas Boulevard for the night Stanley Cup yeah. parade. Yeah. Las Vegas Boulevard is now shut down. Yeah. Or will be shut down for several days to accommodate the track. And they've been they've been um building up the grandstands. Yeah, yeah, the grandstands and the walls mm. for for weeks. And this is all a function of this being the most uncompetitive, anticlimactic F1 season in my memory. And I'm someone who remembers Schumacher's dominance, of course, Vettel and Hamilton over the last decade. But with Max Verstappen so far ahead of the field and having already clinched the championship, Red Bull having already clinched the team championship, these races are not just processional. 
They're predictable. They lack drama. The young crew of drivers that you hope would step up and challenge Max, at least get your elbows out when he's trying to pass you, have not abided. Hell, Lando Norris and him are such buddies, they play golf on race weekends. So from the heights of F1, and Blake, was there a bigger sports story than the economic growth and further penetration into North America of F1 during the pandemic, right? With Drive to Survive? Yeah. I think we've hit the peak, gentlemen. I think we're on the backside of the curve. Uh, well, just anecdotally, like the water cooler buzz that I once heard yep. 18 months ago, not there anymore. No, absolutely not. Same with my friends. I used to, you know, as they were getting more, some were ardent, some were getting more and more into the sport. There's not enough drama, though. No, no. Um, how did we avoid that with Tiger, or did we get malaise? Did we get Tiger malaise? When he was dominant? But the thing is, Tiger's dominance, you know, he lost more tournaments than he won. Right. Still. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this happened just wins every race. Utter dominance. Yeah. I mean, it's boring. Yeah. Uh, final one for me at Steph Epstein. A stomach ailment has felled some 10% of the executives at Major League Baseball's annual offseason kickoff. It's serious enough that the league considered ending the whole thing early. The GM meetings have become the GI meetings. <laughs> Update from her seven hours after that. This is now late last night. Update. It's definitely a virus, not food poisoning. As a result, Major League Baseball has canceled the rest of the meetings. Oh, my goodness. So any big swaps of players and all that sort of stuff might be put on hold mm -hmm. right now. They've got some porcelain to hug for a little bit. <laughs> Hate hugging the porcelain. Oh, and lastly, for me at Sports Horn, John Horn on Tennis Canada, perfect three and zero, knocking off Spain without dropping a single set. Great start to the Billie Jean King Cup finals. Poland without world number one Iga Swiatek on Thursday. Go Canada! Yeah, we talked about tough year for our, our tennis lot through the U.S. Open, but there have been some decent results since from Leila Annie Fernandez and from Felix Oje Alisim and the uh, ladies with a wonderful victory there against a good tennis playing nation in Spain. That's hashtags for today. Lance Stevenson was the name. Lance Stevenson. We're joined now by BC Lions defensive coordinator Ryan Phillips, who has been around pretty much uninterrupted since 2005 with the Leos. And RP, what's it been like for you to see all the vibes come back here in 30,000 at BC? Honestly, it's been a treat, uh, you know, to see us getting back to the old stomping grounds of us being, uh, you know, one of the better teams in the league, uh, seeing the fans come out and be supportive. Uh, it was actually a great feeling yesterday. I'm actually walking out of the stadium and I'm walking to my car uh, in uh, by the Park Casino and just a random person because I had a BC Lions sweater on stopped me and said, hey, congratulations, man. I'm really proud of you guys and so forth. And, you know, just to be able to get back to those type of glory days has definitely been, you know, a token to our ownership, a token to, you know, the team and how they've been playing and the, and the coaching staff, but just the fans, everybody buying in. And it's definitely been a great output and definitely something that's always a, an event to see. Before we get on to this Saturday in Winnipeg, I want to take you back to Saturday. Calgary gets the ball, three plays, they're in the end zone with a big play. Where's your headspace at at that point, RP? Uh, well, of course, it's uh, being beyond upset because, you know, for me, some of the things were uh, self-inflicted. And 
not to take anything away from them. Uh, obviously, they executed and made the plays, but you know we definitely had some things that we could have been in better position uh, to be able to execute and get a different result. But you know the main thing was to go back to the sideline, make the corrections, and at that point just get everybody to settle down and understand that you know this game is four quarters. So you know that one possession it definitely wasn't you know the best result, but it wasn't heartbreaking to that extent and something that we can always, you know, bounce back from. So the guys showed up and played after that. That's the only thing that matters. And, you know, happily uh, we're here uh, still practicing and ready for this week. Well, speaking of practice, I, I noted a couple of your key guys missed practice yesterday. What can you tell us about Ben Laddick, your fine middle linebacker, and of course, Gary Peters, maybe the best DB in the CFL and their availability. How concerned are you for those two on Saturday? Well, I mean, I mean, anytime that you, you know, are dealing with injuries of that magnitude, right, especially at this crucial part of the season, it's definitely huge. It's not like we're at the beginning of the year where, you know, you can buy yourself three or four weeks and, you know, still get, you know, those guys for the long haul or, you know, into the peak of the season. So, you know, you have your concerns, but, um, you know, we're just going to take it day by day and see how their progress is. Um, I expect those guys, you know, saying to try to get back full recovery as possible. Um, for Gary, I definitely expect him to play for sure. Um, as far as that is, it's just kind of precautionary um, from that standpoint. And Ben, we'll kind of just see how, you know, that leg ends up going and some of the swelling and things like that. But, you know, for those guys, the professionals that they are, you know, mental reps are sometimes the best. Uh, recovery right now at this point um, and even just rest is sometimes the best deal too and not just for those guys that have injuries just period you know these guys have played 20 games so you know with that being said guys got to come out and do what they need to do um, most of our veterans are you know definitely mentally engaged and that's more so the vocal point right now than the physical wear and tear if Laddick can go is that Woods do you have the ratio of flexibility to drop the American linebacker in there and do it that yes. way Okay. Yeah, we do. So that'll be, a, you know, a big thing. And that's what we did at the beginning of the game anyway this past week. But, you know, it just speaks about the versatility of someone like him, right, that can go inside out and, you know, still make the plays, but also the mental aspect, right, to to know the playbook, understand it, you know, be able to identify and then be able to go out there and showcase his ability. So um, I'm definitely happy about, you know, the fact that he's on our team and that we yeah. have that type of versatility. So that's huge. Well, and he filled in admirably uh, for Lacombo, uh when Bo had to miss uh, some games uh, yep. early in the season. This Winnipeg run game, RP, uh, our old friend Andrew Harris moved on, and yet still they run the football with Brady Oliveira. What did they do specifically in the running game that is so successful? What specific challenges does he, as a tailback, uh, provide for your defense on Saturday? Well, I mean, the huge thing is, I mean, one, you know, they definitely uh, block together as a group. Um, and that's something that, you know, they're on the same page of. And it allows Brady to also not get touched for the first four or five yards at time. And someone like that is a, a one cut downhill type of running back. You know, you don't want to let him get, you know, up and rolling and to the point where your first contact is at six yards. I mean, at that point, then you might as well go ahead and say he's getting the first down. Um, the, the point of contact, a lot of times that first guy isn't bringing him down. He's usually falling forward. And once that momentum starts to, uh, you know, go, now those five-yard runs turn into 12 and 14 and so forth. So, you know, it's, it becomes a building block for them. And it also sets up play-action pass and, you know, obviously the domino effect from there. So, you know, you want to be able to, you know, go to the point of attack. You know, you want to be make sure that you try to get him in, in spots to be able to stop his feet, right? You want him not to be able to hit it downhill. And, you know, those are things that you want to be able to try to take advantage of when you have the opportunity. So, you know, the more that we can get him out of that alongside the help of other facets of the game, you know, when you're playing with the lead and doing some things like that obviously that always helps to get him out of that element but 
at the beginning of the game, we got to go ahead and put ourselves in position to be successful. And it's a will. You know, you got to have the willingness to tackle, the willingness to be physical. And that's the part of this season right now. So, you know, we got to have ourselves mentally engaged and ready to go as far as that is. Read this week that Winnipeg's two most successful passing games this year were against you guys in games two and games three. And that was after you'd shut them down in game one. What, what changed in those games and what specifically do you have to address to make sure they don't have the success in the air? that they've had the last couple of times? Well, some of those things are kind of skewed. You know, I, I, the numbers and things like that, I, I more so don't get caught up in. The second game was what it was, right? And that's what it, you know what I'm saying, that's what it entailed, and they got long plays. That third game, when you're playing from behind, you become pass dominant, you end up throwing 40-something times. So, of course, at that point then, you know, the numbers will start to, you know, continuously climb due to the fact that you get away from the running game. Um, so when you're now playing with a lead and now you're trying to find your way to bounce back, now at that point now you become more pass-heavy where now opportunities start to present themselves. Um, you know, as far as the long plays and explosive plays, that's the things I'm more engaged about. How many plays are they getting over 25 yards? How many plays are they getting over 30? Because when they become that explosive offense at that point now, like I said, it becomes a hardship and you can't find yourself in those type of deals. So the biggest thing at this point right now for us is just to make sure that we're keeping everything in front of us, making sure that we're now going to put them in a position where we have to come down and tackle, you know, like I said, eliminate the big plays and get number eight on the ground. You know, as much as we can get number eight on the ground, the better. And you can see the difference in that first game. We played them to some of the other ones. Even in the third game, we got them on the ground and things like that, caused them some fumbles and stuff like that. So anytime we can get them on the ground and get some hits on the quarterback, that definitely makes us a lot better. But it also changes the landscape of the game and also how they block and do some other things. So that way we can open up a few other things uh, in the pass setting as well. We uh, were looking deeper into the stats, RP, and saw, I mean, 12 and 6, a fantastic record. And yet you guys were minus in the turnover differential this year it was 32 turnovers forced by your defense is that just ball security on the other side is that guys not making plays when they had an opportunity to make plays how did you feel about the number of turnovers your defense created well i mean of course you of course you always want more right i mean you know mercy you know when you pride yourself in the fact of you know trying to create turnovers and things like that uh to that extent um, so, yeah, you definitely want more. You want more to big plays. You want more to interceptions, the forced fumbles, um, some of those things from that standpoint. So, you know, anything to change the landscape of the game, right, to shift momentum, uh, those plays, you know, you definitely want to have. Um, right now, like I said, I'm all just about building up the time now. Um, <clears throat> I won't say it's necessarily a ball security thing. From that point, it's just more so – you know, just playing the safe route. You know, sometimes guys are, you know, not willing to go for the force fumble or go for a strip or, you know, things like that, want to secure the tackle and stuff like that. But that second and third guy coming in has to have the notice of, okay, man, this is my opportunity to try to gauge at the ball, trying to strip it and things like that. So those are things that we need to rep better. Um, and I'll take accountability of that as far as through practice and so forth and things for us to emphasize it a little bit more. But, you know, in this past game, it's about what you've done for me lately. And, you know, the turnovers we got, you know, in this past game were definitely huge and pivotal moments of the game. You know, after they got a possession and they went in and scored, Gary Peters comes back, gets an interception, changed change the landscape. You know, the other one that I feel like we should have had with Josh when we ended up getting a forced fumble from behind on Jake Mayer, you know, and things like that. So we should have had some other opportunities. But, you know, right now for me is – how are we putting them in the minus? How are we putting them on their side of the, uh, keeping them on their, on their side of the field? And then when we get our opportunities, man, we got to make it, especially when that ball's in the air. We got to go get the ball, and they got some good 50-50 ball receivers, so we got to go out there and make plays. I uh, I bumped into Solly Elamimian, Jack Murray Lawrence, Stephen Adekolu, uh on Saturday early in the season. I bumped into Anton McKenzie. I have bumped into all these BC Lions alumni and guys from your era, Ryan. We were talking, we got to get Corey and Dante up here and have a lockdown you reunion at some point, huh? 
we got to make sure that's going into a bye week because the amount of <laughs> just exhaustion I'm going to have dealing with them is a whole nother thing. Uh, no, we actually been talking about it. Uh, we're all on group text and we've been trying to set up a time, uh, especially when it comes to this next year. So myself and uh, Corey and Dante and Aaron Hunt and all of us, we're all on uh, group text, even with G Roy and so forth. And, you know, trying to see, you know, where that ends up mapping out. It might even be a game where we play, you know, saying Edmonton or something like that. So that way G Roy can be here as well. But we want to try to map it out and make that happen as best as possible. But yeah, expect that at some point next year for sure. Uh, it's been awesome seeing uh, all the Leos come back and, and being adopted into the culture and into this new team under Amar and the leadership there. I got two more questions for you. Yep. What do you got planned for us uh, for sideline attire Saturday? Because I saw Angus love the toque you were wearing. We all thought the the orange bomber jacket in Hamilton was straight fire. RP. <laughs> We is, that you, is that you picking out uh, what For you sure. wear? Okay. Every right. time, every time. But I just make sure, you know, Aaron assists, though. You know, so that's a good thing, though. So our equipment manager is good with that. You know, he knows I'll try to get some specific requests, and mine got to be a little bit different than everybody else. So, we we'll definitely have something for this week. And then, you know, Grey Cup is definitely going to be an explosion. That's for sure. So, you know, from top down, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the coat to the shoe or anything like that, like I said, I like to set, you know, be depart as best as possible. Hey, hey, the defensive coordinator has to stand out, right? For signal <laughs> purposes. To, it's for not sure. just fashion, it's function as well. Right. Make it make sense. Lastly, um, I believe we did this interview last week or last year in advance of the West final and said, uh, Boy, it'd be pretty cool to celebrate birthday number 40 during Grey Cup week. Man. Next week, birthday number 41 during Grey yeah. Cup week. You, you think you'd mind spending it on a chilly practice field in Hamilton? With, with no complaints. Not one. Not one. Even I'll even buy myself some birthday boots, you know what I'm saying, just to get ready. <laughs> Whatever I need to do. But, no, that's definitely what I'm looking forward to. That's definitely, the you know, the thought. So, no, I would definitely love to be there. Um, and, obviously, not just to be visiting and watching somebody else. Obviously, for us to be there and – I feel like everybody has the same mindset. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, we're going into this week with, you know, the proper preparation, but the proper, you know what I'm saying, mindset and, and everybody's engaged. And despite guys not being able to practice or whatever the case may be, everybody's still buying in. Everybody's been able to come early. They're buying into the system as far as that is. So it's huge in that regard. So, you know, I feel like the progress has been great. Our veterans are leading um, and guys are willing to follow. And uh, that's going to definitely take us to where we need to be. Well, an early happy birthday. Best of luck in Winnipeg. And as always, RP, thanks for making time. No, I greatly appreciate it. Secure some price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Did you see the report is out there? I think we knew this was coming. Joey Votto would like to be a Toronto Blue Jay. Mm. I think we've known this ever since he had that terrible reaction. And then, to his credit, later apologized about James Paxton's no-hitter in Toronto. And... and Basically, Mia culpa and said, look, I was jealous. Yeah. You know, I'm a Canadian guy. I wanted to, my own shine, you know, at the one Canadian stadium. I, I think the only reason he's coming back is because he wants to play for the Blue Jays. And really, when you look at it, they needed Brandon Belt way more last year than I think people suspected they needed Brandon Belt. He's a free agent. So a left-handed hitter who can fill in at first base and DH, 
you know, I, I do wonder, particularly if he's willing to play uh, on a reasonable contract. And I think at this stage of the game, he will. I mean, if he's not the greatest baseball player, Canadian baseball player of all time, he's right there with Larry Walker and, of course, Fergie Jenkins on the pitching side of things. So then, of course, there's the other scenario whereby he goes and plays with someone else. But if the Jays need a left-handed bat at the deadline. I think it would be a perfect scenario yes. for the Yes. The Jays. other thing is it's pretty clear that Joey Votto loves the spotlight. Like, he loves doing interviews. He loves public speaking and all that. I do wonder whether we're going to see Joey Votto in a broadcast booth, maybe in the Jays broadcast booth, when he retires from the game. Like, he's such an intelligent and articulate guy, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as being a guy who has been quite vulnerable in the public with everything he's discussed uh, about his life, that, I mean, to me, be an absolute natural. Buck Martinez turned 75. I was just going to say, the timing's kind of perfect. 75. Yeah. And he might be able to do another year or two, but then that's right. perfect for Votto to step in. Oh, unless he's on the Hubie Brown plant. Yeah. He's going to stick around till 90. Um, and the thing is, Joey's already done it. Like, when he's been on the injured list, he's gone up to the broadcast No, exactly. Booth. Exactly. So it, it, he doesn't need any grooming. He's ready no, to roll. He really is. And just, he's got the gift of gab. Just turn the mic on. Yes, yeah. Wanted to get to this about the Whitecaps as well. Um Axel Schuster, uh, Axel Schuster um, talking about the events at the end of the match Sunday. We have a very young team and staff. They have not also acted in the right way. We allow mistakes to happen. The most important thing for me is that we learn from the mistake and we do better the next time. Hard journalist from Daily Hive reported he's going to do a review of what has happened here. But you were telling me, MLS has already come down, and in fact, I get the emails myself with disciplinary action for players and coaches. From that weekend. From that weekend, from playoff games already passed. They are a little more decisive. Now, it was absolute chaos at the end of the match. So So maybe they need more time. Yeah, so maybe that's it. But, I mean... And, and, and sorry, I, I'm going to extract Sartini out of that equation. I think they're they're going to do an exhaustive review of what happened with Sartini. Oh, yeah, I think Vanny is his own review. Right. But in terms of player actions, well, I don't know. And I must admit, maybe I missed something because my eyes were fixed on Vanny and the pure, unadulterated anger that was coming out. And, of course, all the mannerisms, gesticulations. Like, at one point, I did think he was going to want he, – he wanted a physical confrontation. But Sam Atacube falls on his sword a little bit here with Har again. He says, yeah, it's a difficult situation, of course. Referees in a tough position. People get emotional. I was probably over-emotional at the end of the game and during the game, but it's the nature of the sport. I'm not sure where the league is at with what a suspension or what review. I guess I'll get a letter soon. Obviously, it was disappointing, but we still did lose the game. It can't be all about the referee. We have to take some accountability as well. So a little bit of Wally Buono rule there from Atacube, but also saying he anticipates hearing from the league. Yeah, it's it, and and Vanny had been critical of the officials on one or two occasions uh, elsewhere. Which uh, is in why the season. he might be his own review yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, I think one of the games was at the St. Louis game where he said mm-hmm. we played against... 12 players out right. there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and the good news is that he doesn't do it every game. No. He doesn't. Uh, I think he picks the appropriate times of pointing it out. 
You know, I used to have a, an ongoing conversation with Bob Lenarduzzi about MLS officiating, and we both agreed that because Bobby would get quite upset. Yeah. Do you remember when Bobby was in the booth behind us there at Empire Stadium? Mm. <laughs> he would hear some fists on table. Now, uh, and we would have him in every year for President's Week, and he would acknowledge that, look, MLS refereeing was getting better. Mm-hmm. What's been your take here this year? Is it up to snuff? Is it up to the level of play, or does it still have a ways to go? Uh, I think for the most part, it's fine. I mean, but mm-hmm. everybody, you know, a good ref might have a bad day, and if you've got, you know, if you've, I mean, and you know, a ref one day is going to be the fourth official or VAR the next, so you know, there's four, four people there mm-hmm. that can do the refing job. So what, what does that mean? You've got, you've got like I don't know. 70 officials, you know, basically that are so are there are there bad ones in the group of 70? Yeah, of course there are. There are unfit officials, but I mean that that stands to reason, I think. The question is just raising the bar so that the worst one in that group is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and and just having accountability and that's the beauty is that if the head official is having a bad night, the VAR official right. should be there to be like, okay, yeah. so Tim's you've had got, a bad You've night. got a safety net here. There is a safety Gentlemen, net built if in. if you choose to use it. But here's the thing, I and I've got no evidence of this. I'm just theorizing here. Like, what if there's a weird dynamic? What if you know that, and you know, and I'm not going to say in the Tim Ford example, Jim Johnson is down there being the official. Oh, Jim hates it when I call him to the VAR. He always lets me have it after mm-hmm. the game. I, I This is a 50-50 thing. But I don't want to hear it from Jim after the game about it, why I'm calling him over for VAR so much. So I'm not going to call it here. Like those are the human. It's their workplace, right. just like we have right. workplace dynamics and all Pick of our your battles. Right. right. I'm mm-hmm. not going to call Tim over for this. Like mm-hmm. again, who knows what workplace dynamics exist in those in those circles? But if 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 a VAR official knows that a head referee gets gripey when you call him over, <laughs> maybe you're less likely to call him over. I don't know. Ump show, ref show. Yeah. Yeah, we know. There are feelings and there is pride involved. Hey, anywhere there's a human, Mm -hmm. there's going to be those sorts of dynamics. Let's get to the results of yesterday's, uh, Wednesday's poll question. Are you worried the Canucks will regress? 2,000 votes on this. Yes or no? What won the poll? Uh, Yes, won the poll. No. Really? No no won the poll. Really? 60% said no. Because we got a lot of... As we discussed yesterday, well, they got some cushion for regression. Jim, I'm certain they will regress. I forgot who said it, but if they don't, then basically they're the late 80s Oilers. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about regression. They can regress and still be a good team. Yep. Deedlebug, I'm more curious to see how they handle the slump that inevitably comes to all teams at some point. Can they keep a three-game slide from becoming a seven- or eight-game slide? Deedlebug hit it. We talked about it a couple of days ago. Five-game losing streaks or beyond. That's sort of what has tripped up teams with starts like this and kept them from being in the playoffs. Emily, I fully expect the Canucks to go 61-14-7. Nah, they will definitely regress, but I don't expect them to fall off a cliff. I say that with nervous optimism. This team is for real. And then Greasy Samosa says, you can't call yourself a Canucks fan if you aren't worrying. We saw a lot of that as well. I'm a Canucks fan. My job is to worry. I do nothing but worry. They have conditioned me to worry. 
Time now for all those are good, by the way. All these no, they're all not a wild response. There were terrific responses on this one yesterday. It's um, very pleasing uh, when you craft these poll questions and you get terrific debate in the comments underneath. Respectful debate as well. Time now for the Betway bets of the day. I'm not quite at a confidence level to bet the Lions at plus two eighty five to win in Winnipeg, so I'll just take the five points in the West final. I looked at the same game. I'm going with a game prop. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grown up watching the West Final, mm-hmm. and inevitably, there's a game-breaking play by the defense or special teams. I like it. A defensive or special teams touchdown at 275. Ray Alexander with the block kick in 94. On your Betway bets of the day, must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and Canucks Conversation wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social media. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.